What a great day. Man, so glad to be together and back. So excited to be back. And I'm ready to preach. I'm telling you, my, it's coming. So y'all just get ready. First service, early crowd. You guys just beat the sleep because I knew you were so excited to be here too. So I appreciate it. So, so glad to be back. Hey, welcome. My name is Mike. I get to serve here as lead pastor of our church. Thank you. That's my mom. Uh, um, my birthday's coming up too, by the way. Um, just kidding. Hey, it's so great to have you. If you're a guest with us today, we want to say welcome. If this is your first time or first time back in a while, we want to say welcome to you. And uh, if you would do us a favor, grab a connection card from the seat back in front of you and fill that out. That'd be your gift to us. Or if you want to text the letters LPC to the number 31996, especially if you're watching anywhere in the world through our online crowd. Uh, we've got some really cool uh, church family now that's just gathering all over the world. And it's really amazing. In fact, uh, let me just tell you, Next month, we are actually in three weeks, we are starting a um, multi-site or an, another streaming service in the East Valley of Phoenix, Arizona, and there's going to be about 100 people that gather every weekend to join LifePoint Church, and so we're excited to welcome a new location in Phoenix, and so we praise God for that. How many of you know it's exciting to, to advance the kingdom of heaven? Amen, everybody. So, um, hey, I want to, I got to give you a couple of announcements. There's a couple things on the horizon on the horizon that I just want to tell you about, and then we're going to get into the book of Acts chapter 5. So first of all, it's back to school time. Come on, all you parents who are ready for your kids to go back to school. Can I hear a big, come on, can I hear a big amen? <laughs> well, it's back to school time, and, and this is a great time for a lot of our families. It's great for you teachers. I've been asking teachers as I see them, you know, are you ready to get back into school and in the swing of thing? And I know teachers are missing their students. But listen, this is a great time for you to get your students involved in the student ministry at LifePoint Church. I don't know if you realize that. We have a lot of families that come with student-aged kids, sixth grade and up on our Sundays, but we have a Wednesday night experience just for them, and they meet in the big room at Rossview Road, the, the main auditorium, and then break out into small groups. And I'm telling you, my, my oldest two are in students here, and my younger two can't wait to get into it. It's an amazing word. It's an amazing time of worship. And this is where small groups are being trained into the DNA of our church is through our next generation. How many of you know that's the group that's going to run this church next? Come on, somebody. So if you've not put your students in our student ministry, they just came back from a week at a, a motion conference lit up on fire. Come on, we got some of our students over here. So I, I just want to encourage you, if you have students, uh, student-age kids in your home, get them here on a Wednesday night, 630. You go, well, my kids don't know anybody. That's because you haven't brought them. So get them here. Okay. Uh, fellas, hey, men's night's coming up. It's a big Wednesday night service on August 18th. Fellas, bring your buddies. Guys, bring your sons, sixth grade and up. I'm very, very, very excited about our men's night coming up on the, uh, the 18th of August right here at our Rossview Road location. We'll stream it as well. But man, there's nothing like being in the room with a bunch of dudes. We're going to pray together, worship together. Got a great word coming for you as well. And then, of course, you heard Pastor Mark say we're launching our Austin P campus again, uh, September 19th is the launch day. We also have another interest meeting. Yeah, come on, praise God. We're excited about reaching the college university campus here in Clarksville. And uh, we need your help. I would love to see 500 people from our Rossview campus or our online Clarksville folks to get up and help us launch that campus well. Don't go for a week or two, go for a semester or two or longer or permanently. It's 11 a.m. service every Sunday morning. And uh, we'll have live preaching there as well as video preaching, which by the way, we are gonna start reintroducing video preaching into the fall. Four services on a Sunday for a preacher. For you guys, it's great. For the preacher, it's brutal. And uh, all of our guest speakers over the last five weeks, which by the way, thank you guys for doing an amazing job. But all of our guest speakers, yeah. All of our guest speakers responded with, man, that's a lot of preaching. <laughs> so we are going to start reintroducing video services 
on our weekends. And so we're very excited about that. Just a lot going on. August 16th, though, we have an interest meeting for anybody that wants to be a part of our Austin P campus. We had an interest meeting this last week, about 70 or so people showed up committing to serve that campus. And we still want a few hundred of you to, to give up your spot at Rossview, to go serve Pastor Jordan and Pastor Aaron, go serve with that team. And let's reach that university in the downtown area. Now, we do not have at this point kids ministry available. So that may prevent some of you. And that's a university thing. It's not that we don't love kids at Austin P. It's just we can't do anything with them except leave them in your van. And that's illegal. <laughs> Got a cop over there. So, hey, um, as for now, as we launch, we will not have Kid Point. But other than that, we're going to have everything else that we have to offer. And so we'd love for you to help us launch that service well, launch that campus well. All right. Um, I got one more thing, and it's one of the most exciting things that we do all year. 21 days of prayer starts today. Come on, August 1st. We're going to spend the next three weeks. I want to invite all of you to give concerted effort to prayer every day. Put it on your calendar. Put it on your phone as a reminder, and just take 5, 10, 15 minutes a day, whether you break it up throughout the day or do it all at once, and let's just give some devoted times to prayers. We come back into the fall season now. We got to get back into some rhythms. You know, summertime, we throw off restraints and we kind of, our schedules get all messed up. But I want to start August with 21 days of prayer. And pray every day. Pray for your city. Pray for your church. Pray for your family. Pray for leaders. Pray for your pastor. Please, God, we need it. Pray for our nation. Pray for all that's happening in our world. These are very difficult days. But I believe with all my heart that the church should respond with prayer first. If you don't have our prayer first guide, we have these books available. It's digital on our website, and we can send you the link for that. It'll be on our website. It is there now, and we'll promote it through social media. But we also have these uh, physical pray, prayer first guides. Keep it on your desk. Keep it in front of your family. Keep it at, uh, do it as a devotional at dinner time, at night, whatever you want to do. Like, like, let's spend time over the next three weeks praying and really recentering ourselves into the presence of God through prayer. And as we have for the last couple years, we connect our 21-day fast in January and also our 21-day prayer in August. Uh, we partner with Convoy of Hope, and this year we're gonna do it again with 21 Days of Hope to Feed the World. We're gonna partner with them for their uh, One Day to Feed the World initiative and what that looks like, and you're a generous church, so this is always exciting for us. What, what we ask you to do is, would you consider giving one day of your annual wages to help feed kids around the world. We partner with Convoy uh, with, right now we're currently feeding 387,000 kids a day through Convoy of Hope. And we praise God for that. They are a strategic partner for us. And you guys get to be a part of that. But in August, I wanna ask you to consider this. Above your regular tithing, would you ask the Lord, God, how many days of my income would you like me to give to feed kids? And I did the math. Uh, on average, the household income in Clarksville, household income is about 55,000. That's average, obviously, which means uh, many of you make more than that. Some of you make less than that. But on average, the annual income of a house in Clarksville is 55 grand a year. If you divide that by 250 working days, which is 50 weeks, two weeks vacation, 50 working uh, weeks, five days a week, it's 250 days, you get, a, you get a $214 a day is what most people make in Clarksville. Could you give $214 at the end of this month above your regular tithe? to help feed kids. Well, let me tell you how far that'll go with Convoy of Hope, because $30 a month will feed a kid for an entire month, Monday through Friday, at a school that we're partnered with. So $214 is seven months that you will be able to feed a kid every day that he goes to school through Convoy of Hope. I mean, is $214 worth feeding a kid for seven months, yeah. right? Isn't that a great return on investment? Hello. And so I'm asking you, as we partner in this 21 days of prayer, add to your prayer list, God, how many days of my income would you like me to give to feed kids? And at the end of this month, we're going to have a big kind of rally offering where we designate those offerings 
to give to Convoy of Hope, to give to feeding. And I promise you 100% of that generosity of that gift will go to kids around the world to, to, to feed kids around the world. Isn't that great, everybody? I'm so excited. Thank you for being a generous church. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's get into it. Acts chapter five, I wanna pick up in the Acts series with a message that I've titled, What We Take Seriously. What We Take Seriously. And I'm gonna pick up right where Pastor Mike Campbell left off. He did a great job talking about uncommon commonalities for the body of Christ, for the people of God. And <clears throat> I've titled the message, What We Take Seriously. How many of you know there are things in our lives that we should take seriously? Maybe it's your family, your career, your training, your favorite sports team. Some of you guys are, are very serious about who is getting drafted, you know, and, and particular athletes. Some of the things we take seriously are positive things, like what I'm talking about, family, career, sports, fun things. Some of the things we take seriously are negative things. Like, for example, I take it very seriously when someone is wronged or taken advantage of that I know or, or care about. Anybody else like to defend those that are taken advantage of, right? And we should, as people of means, always be able to, to defend those who are defenseless. And I take it very seriously when someone allows their gain to be a means to let others suffer. I take it very seriously when someone isn't honest or lies. Our team knows, my family knows, I've said it before, like it's, it's the one thing I can't stand more than anything, like don't lie, you know, just be honest. If you burn my house down, just don't blame it on the dog. You know what I'm saying? Just tell me you did it. I'll forgive you later, but we're going to, you know, just don't lie about it. Well, what are the things that you take seriously? What, what are the things that your family takes seriously? Maybe it's dinner time, however many nights a week. Maybe, maybe your family takes seriously that we're going to be a, a screen-free zone for so many hours a week. Maybe you've got some guardrails in your life that you take seriously. What about your firm or your company or your platoon? What about your business? What are things that you take seriously? See, in the Christian faith, there are some things that God takes very seriously. God takes the gospel very seriously. God takes his love for people very seriously. And by, his, by default, we as the church should take very seriously what God takes very seriously. Let me say that one more time for all the rest of you. As the church, we should take very seriously those things that God takes very seriously. By the way, the fact that we don't is one of the greatest problems in our culture today. We should take seriously the things that God takes seriously, like, like sin and, and generosity and repentance and faithfulness and prayer. We should take the things that God takes seriously, seriously in our lives. I feel like I've said the word seriously so many times so far. Well, today's text is going to deal with a few of the things that God's really serious about, that the early church was passionate about, and that I believe should stir our passions as well. Let's pick up in Acts chapter 5. The story is actually one of the most difficult in the Bible. I have prayed a lot about this passage and this text. In fact, when I went on our sabbatical leave, uh, we were assigning passages, and I looked at Mike Campbell. I go, hey, you're the older pastor. Uh, would you like to preach this text, or do you want me to deal with it when I get back? He goes, oh, no, that's all yours. I said, well, thanks a lot, man. So it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and it's the first story like this in the New Testament church, and it is tough. So as I read it to you today and you read along with me in your Bible, which I encourage you to all bring your Bibles to church, uh, you're going to see the challenge of preaching a passage like this, but how many of you know God gave it to us for a reason? We're going to learn from it. We're going to follow the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit on it. Here we go. But it's interesting that this text starts with the word but because it comes out of the previous text, which we'll highlight in just a minute, that Pastor Mike preached, where the apostles had everything in common, and they shared everything, nobody was poor among them. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself 
some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did, you, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but you've lied to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men arose and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Remember, they had conspired together on this story, right? And Peter said to her, tell me, this is Pastor Peter, the father of the church, right? He goes, tell me whether you sold the land for so much money. And she said, yes, for that amount, for so much. Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together with your husband to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came, they found her dead as well and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So today I'm gonna to do a message about giving and how your level of giving can save your life. Get your wallets. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, that's not the real point of this message. Uh, so can all of you pray right now that God would speak through this word? It is tough. Lord, we know that you've given us this text for a reason. And so God, we want to hear from the heart of God from this story and this passage. And we receive it now. Open our, eye, our hearts to hear, our ears to hear, our minds to understand what you are saying to your church in Jesus' name. Amen. So many layers to this text. I, I mean, I have so many questions. I have wrestled through this text. I've actually been studying this text now for about three weeks prior to coming back even from vacation. And <clears throat> literally, I've heard this, this passage preached uh, to scare people into giving, to scare people in general. That's not what this text is about. But I want to remind you, the book of Acts, in the grand scheme of the Bible, it's literary category. It's an historical narrative. So it's not an epistle meant to bring correction, like a letter to the church. It's not the Gospels. It's an historical narrative. So it's a biography of the early church. But in that biography, we see the heart of God. We see the heart of God's people. And we need to learn how to appropriate ourselves to the Lord like they were doing as well. So... It's, an, it's a biography of what happened with them, and we're seeing the hand of God in this biography, learning the practices and devotions. I mean, so far in the, in the first four chapters, it's been up and to the right. They're, they're devoted to Jesus. They're, they're seeing the, this revival happen. The Holy Spirit comes. I mean, everybody's getting transformed, and there's all this good news. And then this story comes. It's the first story like this in the book of Acts. It's the first story like this in the New Testament church, and we have to learn from it. I, I worked so hard on this message, pulling resources and read. I probably read six commentaries or more and sermons. I actually called a friend of mine, Pastor John Lindell. He is a Jedi when it comes to verse-by-verse -verse expository preaching. He pastors James River Church in Springfield. And I said, could you send me your notes? Because <laughs> I might steal them. And uh, I didn't, but I did reference them. He's in Springfield, Missouri. You should all listen to his sermon podcast. It's amazing. But I mean, I, we just worked overtime. And our team was praying a lot this week. So I, I've pulled out some things that I've, I've highlight, I wanna highlight from this text, but I, I'm gonna tell you, there's a lot of questions that I still have about this. Like who killed him? Did God do that? Did, did 
Did Peter kill him? You know, he had an attitude. Remember in the garden, he tried to cut a guy's head off. Was there was that like a hit? Some dude in the you know in the corner with a blow dart. I, like, I, did he die of a heart attack? Honestly, that's one of the prevailing ideas. Is Ananias just in his grief and being exposed, just had a heart attack? Like he just shocked him that he got caught, and the Holy Spirit helped Peter catch him, you know, and, and call that out, and he just died. I mean, it's, the text does not say that God killed him, so we're not going to blame God for that. But the text also doesn't say how they died. There's just a lot of questions. And I'm not going to answer all those questions today, but I do want to deal with a few that I see in this text. Number one, <clears throat> commitment to the community of faith or the church is very powerful. And listen, it's fall time, y'all. I want to challenge everybody to consider your level of commitment to the body of Christ. I'm not saying consider your level of commitment to life pointer to me. I'm saying to the church. Like, are you committed in small groups? Are you committed in serving? The commitment to the faith community is incredibly powerful. If we're gonna understand the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we gotta go back a paragraph in your Bible. Go back to chapter four. Remember, Pastor Mike Campbell preached this a couple weeks ago. I don't wanna re-preach his sermon, but we have to go back to the context in order to see what was happening. Go back one paragraph in Acts chapter four, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of, here it is, everybody say it with me, one heart and soul. That means they were unified. They were committed to one another. They were gathered and committed. They were of one heart and soul. And no one, look at the exhaustive language here. All of them, the full number, were committed in one heart and soul. None of them said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. What that means is they were willing to lay down even their possessions to go, hey, this, is, this now belongs to Jesus, so it belongs to the family of God. And, and they just were like, hey, if you have a need, it's my need, and so I got you covered. And they were united as one heart and soul. You saw this a couple weeks ago. Pastor Mike did a great job, Campbell, with this text. And then look at this. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. By the way, all, again, exhaustive language, this word grace is the word charis, which is the, the grace gifts. Like, here's what, here's what this text is really saying. There was powerful demonstration as they preached the gospel, and the grace was so great. Like, they were seeing the gifts of the Spirit manifest. They were seeing lives transformed so much so, like, God was drawing people to them all the time. It was a powerful church to be a part of. How many of you think that's an amazing church to be a part of? I mean, could you imagine coming to church and, and, and going, hey, man, you know, some things are tight and I have a need, and then your church responds, that's not your need, that's our need. We got you covered. And it says that they were preaching with such power and there was grace and gifts of the Spirit upon them all. That's been the story of the New Testament church so far throughout the book of Acts. And then we have this interesting story. By the way, this community of faith reminds you of the community that Jesus calls us to in Mark uh, Oh, I forgot this part, sorry. There was not a needy person among them. For as many were, oh, here it is, that were owners of lands and houses. They, they had everything in common. Even the people that were owners of land or houses sold the land and houses and brought the proceeds. So that's like your equity, right, your margins. They brought proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anybody as each person had need. I mean, this is an amazing church community. And, and the result of that was miraculous. People getting saved all the time, people getting healed, delivered, the preaching is going forth and the gospel is spreading, it's amazing. We haven't had bad news in the church yet. 
It reminds you of what Jesus actually commanded us is the greatest commandment. You remember this in Mark chapter 12? Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which they were doing, and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, the early church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was doing the great commandment of Jesus. And, and the grace of God was on them. The power of God was being seen through them. Miracles were happening. It was an amazing church to be a part of. And, and listen to me, LifePoint, I'm telling you, that's the kind of church that I pray for us to be, that we'd be so committed to Jesus and we'd be so committed to God and his word and so committed to one another that the power of God would be known in this church. That when we launch campuses, it's not begging people, but we're sending and launching people because the power of God's so great in us that we can't wait to reach more people for Jesus. That when there's a need to feed children around the world, it's not a would you please and could you please and beg you please, but we can't wait to share all things we have in common for the good of those who need the Lord, right? That's the kind of church that I've prayed for us for 11 years to become and that we will continue to become. But then in verse 36, we have this turn, and this is where kind of Ananias and Sapphira probably got messed up. Verse 36, going back to chapter four, (coughs) thus Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, pause. Uh, This is an introduction to a very prominent Bible character, Barnabas, who would become a best friend to the apostle Paul. He was known as an encourager. How many of you know all of you need a Barnabas in your life? If you don't have anybody encouraging you towards the things of God, some of us have Barnabas who are encouraging us towards the things of the world or the flesh, go and get yours, be your best you, go and have whatever you want that makes you happy. I don't need those kind of Barnabai. Those are Barnacles. I need Barnabas in my life telling me, you can do it. You can serve God. I just made that up. You can do it. You can serve God. That's how Barnabas is known throughout the the scriptures. He's an encourager. Also, speaking of the name Barnabas, uh, I'm very excited on your behalf next month. Remember I told you all earlier in the year, we get to be a part of building a seminary in Tanzania. And uh, the the superintendent of the fellowship that we're going to be partnering with is a guy named Barnabas. So I'm excited to go preach for Pastor Barnabas in Tanzania next month and represent you guys well. So very excited as we dedicate this seminary building that you guys helped build. And uh, the president of Tanzania is gonna be there and she is not a follower of Jesus. But how many of you know when you got like 20 preachers up there like preaching, she's gonna be a follower of Jesus. Come on, somebody. So here's where Ananias and Sapphira got messed up. Watch. Joseph, who was called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he was a Levite. Now, this is his clan. This is the tribe that he comes from. If you, if you know your Old Testament well, when the children of Israel came into the promised land after uh, Moses, and then uh, it's handed off to Joshua to take them into the promised land, then God starts divvying up the land. And all the tribes, the, da- the Danites, the, the Reubenites, all the tribes got a piece of land except the Levites. And the Levites were actually told they are not allowed to own land because they are to be the priests of the house of God. And they are to live and survive and be fed and cared for by the people of God. This is why I say it's always the plan of God, the people of God provide for the house of God. The Levites were the priests of the temple. And God said, you're not allowed to own land. You serve the temple, you serve the church. So Barnabas is a Levite, and look at this, a native of Cyprus, he had a piece of land that belonged to him, so he sold it. But why did he sell it? Because he's not supposed to own it. Now watch what happens. This native of Cyprus sold a field that belonged to him, and so he brought all the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This became a model of generosity in the New Testament church. It wasn't mandated by the 
pastors. It wasn't mandated from Peter. And in the, in the previous text, it said they, they brought proceeds, like equities. They brought margins off the top. So you sell something for 50 bucks, but you owe 20, so you got 30%, $30 margin. They bring proceeds off the top. But Barnabas, because he's a Levite, couldn't own land. Somehow, maybe he was gifted this land. Maybe a neighbor was like, hey, Barnabas, man, you're the man. I'm going to give you 50 acres. And, and so he sold it. But he brought 100% of the proceeds. And, and we read that a couple weeks ago when Pastor Mike, and we're like, that's amazing. Can you imagine being that type of generous people? I can imagine it. But the Levitical clan was the only Hebrew clan not to get, be given land in the Old Testament. And that's part of what motivated Barnabas to give 100% of the proceeds. And he was so committed to God, he was so committed to others, that when he sold the land, he just gave 100% of it back to his church family, so that no one had need. That's amazing. It's like giving to feed kids through one day to feed the world. What an amazing opportunity. And somehow it became a standard, not the standard, but a standard of giving in the New Testament church. Listen, I started by saying the community of faith matters so much. Our devotion to the community of faith actually matters. And here's why I think it matters, because this text is about to turn and get heavy. Because God does miraculous things when we're devoted to his community of faith. I'm telling you, man, God will do more in us as we do more with each other, as we do more, as we devote ourselves to him. It's not like some bait and switch with God, or it's not like we're manipulating or moving God, but I believe God rewards those who seek him. I believe God honors those who honor him. And the New Testament church was a picture of how to be a people who love God and love one another so much that it costs you literally everything. And that was, the, that was the petri dish. That was the environment in which God did miracles. Come on, anybody else want to be a church like that? Can all the rest of you say amen just to encourage me a little bit? This is why we do groups and we serve on teams and we give generously and we pray first and pray for our church. This is why we keep drawing us to be fully devoted to Jesus. Well, isn't it interesting that the thing that we applaud would become a thing that could turn somebody else's heart. And here's what happens. And, and I want you to see this as we walk through this text. Because actually the word, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, starts with the word but. Now when Luke wrote this book, he didn't write chapter numbers and verse numbers. He was just writing a story. And he writes the end of chapter 4, and he talks about Barnabas, and he gave all this land, and he goes, but there was a man named Ananias. So the word but means now, now we're going to shift focus here. And what we're going to see is deception is always destructive. Deception is always destructive. Let me take us back to this story of Ananias and Sapphira. At first read, it's tough. I mean, they sold a piece of land. They held back some money. They lied about it. And then Pastor Peter called him out, led by the Holy Spirit. And one at a time, Ananias and Sapphira died instantly that day. That's a weird day. This passage is one of the toughest to preach in the book of Acts. In fact, commentators agree it's, it's hard to preach this text. It seems harsh, punitive, final. It doesn't seem like the God who's for you and gracious and all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you something, uh, especially for anyone who has a problem with churches talking about money, this passage is actually not about money. It's about um, sin, particularly here, the sin of lying. Remember what's just happened at the end of chapter four. Now watch, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira Sold a piece of property. So far, so good, right? Like Barnabas. Oh, that's cool. Another piece of land got sold. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it 
and laid it at the apostles' feet. So um, let me kind of unpack what this looks like because it, it's a little unclear. What happened was Ananias lied about his land sale. Basically, he brought in whatever amount of money as a contribution, but he lied saying that was the full amount he sold it for. So he sold a piece of land, let's say he got $100,000 because it's Clarksville 2021, so it's a half an acre. And uh, sorry, land prices are just absurd right now, but uh, praise God if you own it, you know, ball out. So he, sell, he sells a piece of land for let's say 100,000 and maybe he and his wife said, hey, we're gonna keep back 40,000. You know, we got some travel we wanna do. Who cares why they get, kept it? And, and so they bring 60,000, but here was the lie. When they brought it to the church, they go, we sold this for 60,000 and we're excited to give 100% of our gift to the Lord. That was the lie. They faked their devotion to God. They lied about what the, and it was such a dumb thing to lie about. But how many of us lie about our devotion to God? How many of us lie in certain categories about our, how committed we are to the things of God or to our family or to our spouse or with our eyes? Or, I mean, we just do that. It's so subtle. So what they did was they lied by saying, this is what we got for the land and we're so honored and it's building themselves up, it's egotistical. Maybe they were going, well, we don't wanna be outdone by Barnabas. Can I just tell all of you, you are never required to live out somebody else's Christianity. God may have led Barnabas that way, but that doesn't mean he's leading you that way. God may lead you to feed five kids for this year or give five days wages and he may lead you to give 20 days wages. Who cares? You let God lead you into the obedience of God. But they got caught up in keeping up with the Barnabases <laughs> that in order to look righteous, they gave up righteousness and they lied. Oh, man, that's just still a sin that we commit. So Peter, I think it is totally a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a word of knowledge from God says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Notice he didn't say, why'd you lie to us, man? We can't trust you, bro. He said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to God and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Remember, that precedent set by Barnabas, we saw it in Acts chapter two as well. They're giving 100% of returns on things. These were all in contributions and that was a model of giving but it wasn't the model of giving. They lied about it. They traded in righteousness to look righteous. And Sapphira did the same thing. Read again, verse seven and eight, it says, uh, afterwards, uh, three hours later, uh, his wife comes in not knowing what had happened and Peter says to her, hey, tell me about the land you guys sold. Did you sell it for 60,000? Right, so he knew all the stats. Did you sell it for this much? And she said, yes, we did sell it for that much. And Peter said, how is it? This is the grief of a pastor, and I'm telling you, I've felt it so many times. How is it that you've agreed together to test the Spirit of God? He's not going, how dare you? He's going, how could you? He's not telling them, like, shame. He's probably thinking, my best friend Jesus died, so you don't have to do that. And I think it's interesting too, by the way, there's a parallel between Adam and Eve and Ananias and Sapphira. Think about this. The first couple in human history led by the devil walking in deception and sin cost them death. 
of the human race, sin, devastation. The first time we see a married couple in the new covenant led by the devil, walking in sin, and it cost them death. That is puzzling to me. I go, God hates sin. And we should take that seriously too. They lied about their sale to make contribution to seem inflated. Maybe it was pride or greed or insecurity or jealousy of Barnabas. Who knows why? They conspired together to lie and they kept some back, which they could have done. It's like Peter said, hear ye, hear ye. If you ever sell land, it all comes to the church. I know some of us have been a part of churches like that. This ain't one of them. Our attitude about giving is you ask God and do what he tells you. But it costs them instantly. I don't understand that. That's puzzling. I told you earlier, it's just tough for me because it doesn't sound like the God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. But for some reason, one commentator I read said, this was a rare moment of God's immediate judgment, which those happen in the New Testament. I do know that God was active in this church. Here's what I know. God was active in this church. He was present in this church. There were miracles in this church. People were devoted to God and devoted to one another. And all of a sudden, Ananias and Sapphira reintroduced sin into a place that is God's just moving among. And God goes, no, 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 no. I'm here. I'm working here. I'm doing something. And you're not going to get to mess that up. By the way, when Ananias and Sapphira did that, they go against God's command of loving God when you lie to God, it's not very loving. And loving people, which when you lie to people, it's not very loving. Are y'all feeling the tension of this text? Well, let me just pastor down for just a moment. And I just want you to hear this from the bottom of my heart. And I don't think we say this enough. God hates sin. He still hates it. We have grown soft on sin as a culture, and I believe it's because we've grown soft on sin in the church. We would rather not offend people, and yet we still offend God. Well, I don't want to tell you how to live your life. I don't want to, hey, you know what? I don't think the Bible means that anymore. You know what? Times are changing. Churches, we need to evolve and adapt. God hates sin. I've been asked and challenged numerous times, what does your church say about blank, 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 fill in the blank? What does your church say about this? Mike, what's your opinion about it? I go, I don't have an opinion, and our church doesn't have an opinion. The Bible has an opinion. God has an opinion. And until he writes the Bible over and rewrites and edits and deletes like Thomas Jefferson, a new version of the Bible, we don't have an opinion. We follow God. And God still hates sin. Listen to me. We've grown soft on sin, but God has not. And listen, God is always holy. He's always just. He never accepts sin as okay, and we shouldn't either. And here's the other thing about this. Their deception was totally unnecessary. They didn't have to lie. Peter wasn't like, bring in 100%. They didn't have to do that. The whole church had one heart and one soul, but this couple took advantage of that, thinking they'll never know that we kept some back. This is where dishonesty hurts. It always, deception is destructive. It hurts us to tell a lie because we know we did it. Come on, how many of you hate the game of keeping up with your own lies? But it hurts others. It hurts the body of Christ, and ultimately it hurts the Lord. By the way, you'll never get away with lying to God. 
Deception is always destructive. No matter how you excuse it or sugarcoat it, no matter what our culture say, what laws change, lying is always bad. The Bible says so much about lying. It's commandment number nine. Do not tell a lie. In Deuteronomy 25, the Lord detests anyone who deals dishonestly. This is one of my favorites, Proverbs 16, 7. It's like God just checked himself in the writing of this verse. There are six things the Lord hates. You know what? Seven things. You ever come back at your kids like that? Let me tell you one thing. You know what? Let me tell you three things. <laughs> this is God going. There are six things that I hate. Seven that are an abomination. And you know why he went to seven? Because he put lying in there twice. Haughty eyes, that's arrogance. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, murder. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. Come on, Facebook. You need to stop running into those chat forums and dr dropping you know, these little atomic bombs of your truths, feet that run to evil and gossip. Come on, stop it. And here he says it again, a false witness who breathes out lies. God, we got it. You don't like lies. No, I'm saying it twice because I hate it. And one who sows discord among the brothers. I mean, the Bible says a lot about lies. Proverbs 19, it's better be poor than be a liar. No one who practices deceit, God says, Psalm 101, will dwell in my house. And no one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. God has a lot to say about lying. Jesus called out liars all the time. God hates sin. I still don't like the death of Ananias and Sapphira, if I'm being honest. If I was Pastor Peter, I would be so grieved. They could have done whatever they wanted. Peter said in verse 4, go back and look at this, chapter 5, verse 4. He says to Ananias, he goes, while it remained unsold, didn't it remain yours? And then he said, after it was sold... Was not all the money at your own disposal? Like, you could have done whatever you wanted. Nobody made you give 100% or say how You could have given 50 bucks. You could have given 50%. You could have given whatever you want. Wasn't it yours to decide? But he goes, but yet you lied. You lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to God. Man, maybe Barnabas was an unintended bad influence on Ananias and Sapphira. And I got to be honest, sometimes in the faith world, we look to leaders and what God's calling them to do or Christians, maybe small group leaders or pastors on staff or other people that have, have gotten some things kind of figured out ahead of us. And we go, I just need to mirror what they do and imitate what they do. Don't ever feel responsible to live out someone else's Christianity. You follow Jesus yourself. You follow his word. So I don't know. He, you can feel the tension in this message, you know, and I had to decide where to land it because I want to preach it for six more hours because I got a lot of thoughts and theories, but I got to be done. On time. That's one thing y'all got spoiled with the last five weeks. All of our speakers pretty much ended on time. And I'm going to dock their pay for it because they're making me look bad, to be honest with you. No, I want to be done in five minutes. Here's what I've just decided from this text. As I read this and I studied it, man, I probably read this text 50 times. We just need a healthy fear of God again. Now watch this. Go back to the story and read the reaction of the church folks. Peter says, why have you lied to God? You've contrived this in your heart. James says, when we sin, we actually follow the desires of our hearts. Like God never makes you sin. It's what's in you already, which is why we need to be in small groups, why we need to be being discipled, because we need to let the desires of our heart be transformed by God. When we give in to sin, it's because we're just following the, the, pre the predilections of our heart. People go, well, I'm wired this way. I'm born this way. You need to get born again. 
is why you need to be in the body of Christ to let your heart be transformed. My watch. He goes, why did you contrive this in your heart? You've lied to God. When Ananias heard these things, he fell down dead and great fear came upon all who heard it. Look at that, verse five. Great fear came upon everyone who heard it. They weren't afraid of God. They were afraid to sin against God. Now watch, here's, I'm gonna explain what fear of God is. When Sapphira died, same thing. He, he walks her through this whole story. She dies. And verse 11 says, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Let me be clear. We have lost the fear of God in our culture. <laughs> Just watch the news. It's bad enough. Can you imagine like telling some of our political leaders, would you talk like that in front of your mama? Would you talk like that in front of your grandmother? It's, it's, it's one thing to lose the fear of your parents, but we have lost the fear of God in our culture, and I believe it's because we've lost the fear of God in our church. Here's what the fear of God is not, being scared of God. I don't ever want you to be afraid of God, knee knocking like he's gonna bolt a lightning, shock you down and kill you. That's why I think this story is silent about God killed them, it's not there. But the cost of their sin had a consequence, and the result of the people was to revere God more. Listen here, fearing God means to have a healthy awe and a reverence and a deep sense of love and worship and true devotion to a holy God. The reaction of the church to the death of Ananias and Sapphira was to draw closer to God. It's not because they were scared of him, it's because they witnessed God's deep passion for holiness and how the sin of man offended God so deeply. We've lost this sense of awe and reverence for God. I believe it's because the church has lost this sense of reverence and awe for God. And I'm asking you life point as we pray first for the next 21 days, fall in love with God again, fear God again, have a deep and abiding reverence for the amazing, holy, good, perfect, sinless God of your Bible. I wanna ask you to love Jesus with all of your heart, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Revere him as holy. When you come into prayer, you don't just go, hey God, it's me, do what I want. But oh God, I can't believe I get to come into your presence and spend time with a holy God. You are still holy, you're still good, you still hate the sin that resides in me and I lay it at your feet, God. I want you to revere the Lord as holy and powerful and perfect. Revere him as the deep lover of your eternal soul. Hey church, look at me. Repent of your sin. Repent of your sin. Listen, God loves you, but he hates your sin. He hates it so much that he himself came to die in your place. He took the punishment of sin for you so that you not only have to carry the penalty, but so that you don't have to carry the sin in you anymore. But when we grow soft on sin, we grow soft on the holiness of God and we lose the fear of God. Pastor Mark said, a lack of fear of God, it's like a license to do whatever we want. But I'm telling you, God loves you, but he hates your sin. He's never okay with your public sin and he knows and is never okay with your private sin either. He detests lying. He detests sexual immorality. He detests gossip, murderous thoughts, jealousy, unforgiveness. He loves you, but he can't stand it when we sin because he knows it'll destroy us. 
And because he knows it'll destroy what he's doing in us. He knows that it'll hurt the church. He knows it'll hurt the witness of the church. And he knows that he died for this. Not so you can stay in it. Paul said, should we continue in sin so that we can just get more grace from God? No way. I'm not trying to have God be a buzzkill for your life. I'm not trying to be a fun killer, an excitement killer. I'm trying to remind you we are to fear God, revere God. I love that the church did not respond with offense. Well, I'm gonna go to a church where they let me do whatever I want. I'm gonna go to a church that doesn't preach that kind of hard message about stealing and lying. I'm gonna go to a church that lets any kind of sexual expressions go and any kind of deceptions and I can have my way and get my best life now. And I'm gonna go to a church that feeds me. They didn't respond that way. They responded by leaning into the God who has showed himself holy and good and faithful to Listen, he loves us so much and he loves this church so much. He wants his presence to be with us so much that he instantly showed his judgment for that sin. Man, somebody asked me, do you think Ananias and Sapphira went to heaven? Because they were part of the church family. You know, you don't lose heaven because you sin. Believers go to heaven and believers make mistakes. Believers sin. So I'm just, I don't want anybody walking out here going, oh my gosh, I can't do anything wrong because I'm gonna die in my car home. I think, I think this was severe because it was the first time in the new church. That's why I think it was so severe. I mean, people lied, we keep reading the New Testament, they lie. They did stupid stuff. They took from one, Barnabas and, or Peter and Paul got so mad at each other, Peter was a racist. Barnabas, Peter and Paul got so mad at each other, they yelled and basically cussed each other out. Pastors, can you imagine going to a pastor's conference and seeing your two bishops just cussing each other out? Paul said, I confronted that fool to his face. And then he goes, I hope I don't ever talk to him again, but as long as he's preaching Jesus, praise the Lord. He's like, go ahead, Peter, get out of my face. You're riding another bus to heaven, but I'm glad you're going. So it's not that Christians are perfect, but we need to have a a reverence and a fear and an awe of a holy God. So, hey, hear me on this last thought, and then we're gonna pray. Did y'all get anything out of this message today? Okay, listen, hang on, don't clap. I gotta finish. God hates sin. God punished sin on Jesus, but I believe God still, sin still has a consequence. Sin still brings forth death. It's, it's expected return. But listen, God loves you so much that he took the punishment for you. This is why we go back to Jesus all the time. This is why we pray first. This is why we repent, we confess. Jesus died on the cross for you, to forgive you and to cleanse you and to make you righteous. So I wanna ask you church this month, as we focus on 21 days of prayer, would you fear God, revere him? You know, honest to God, and I'm just gonna say that I sound like I'm bragging, I'm not trying to, I'm just confessing. One of the things, I have a a list of reasons of why I won't do catastrophic sins that are gonna cost me everything, cheat on my wife, steal money from the church, you know, whatever, go bananas on social media with some people that are just not very smart. I'm, I'm never gonna give up my marriage for something that's fleeting and passing. I'm never gonna give up my job for stealing money from this church, never gonna do it. But my greatest reason why I wanna stay narrow in my guardrails It's because I don't want to disappoint the Lord. I love him so much. 
I do not want to disappoint the Lord. And yet when I sin, and I do, regularly, I thank God that he hasn't exacted his judgment on me like these guys. But my first response is not cover up. It's always, oh God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. That comes from fearing God. Because I do, I love God. I revere the Lord. I'm in awe of him. That's what I want for us. Turn to God, fear him, revere him, love him. Repent of your sin, it's just not worth it. Revere him today. Can I hear a big amen, everybody? Come on, let's pray. God, we need more of your spirit, more of your grace, more of your presence with us right now. Our prayer team's coming. If anybody needs prayer in a moment, just come on down and get it. God, we absolutely love you. We thank you that you absolutely love us forever. Lord, we believe it grieves you when we make mistakes. We also believe in your grace, your redemption, your forgiveness. But God, may our motivation not just be not getting punishment, but may our motivation be because we love you so deeply. God, draw us to a deeper love for you. Can our prayer team come on up? God, draw us to a deeper place of love and reverence and awe and passion for God. Lord, I'm thankful for Peter's response. Why did you do this? And God, some of us are just dealing with some baggage right now. We're dealing with some issues right now. We're dealing with some secrets right now that we need to lay at your feet. And I pray for just a sovereign and sweet move of the grace of God as we hear this closing message. Draw us to repentance. Your word says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. So God, we, re- we receive the opportunity right now to repent. Some of us need to have some breakups. We need to have some, some changes, put some guardrails in place. God, I thank you that you're so good to us that you've given us this text to bring us to repentance. And Lord, we just pray right now that we would respond affectionately towards you in Jesus' name. Can everybody just pray this with me? God, I surrender all. Come on, say, God, I surrender all. I'm all in with you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your favor. Thank you for forgiveness. I receive it. I repent of my sin. I'm gonna go a different way and I'm gonna come towards Jesus. I wanna honor you. I wanna revere you. I wanna live in awe of you in Jesus' name. To God be the glory. Lord, we're all in. Bless your church. Bless your church. God be the glory. Come on, everybody. Amen. Aren't you thankful for God's word? Hey, before you leave, listen, if any of you say, pastor, I need some prayer. I got some stuff I got to lay down. Our prayer team here, we got some pastors, board members, leaders, and, and, and don't leave without getting prayer. We got time. If you need prayer in the lobby, we got you covered. But man, as you join online with our campus hosts, uh, don't leave without getting prayer as well. I love your life point. So glad to be back. Peace out, everybody.